welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'm Gwen. I'm a sexaholic. And I'm short. <laughs> Very short. It's just so fun for me to be on this panel with Kurt because Kurt's the reason I got into SA. I was in a treatment center and he came in and I just fell in lust with him. It just amazed me. And uh, he got up, instead of talking about what he, the program he was there for, he began to talk about lust. And I thought, oh, he must know I was lusting after him. And I was so embarrassed. But I decided he was going to be my savior because he knew about sexual sobriety. So I got his phone number, and when I got uh, out of that treatment center, I called him and, and told him, guess what? You're my savior. <laughs> and he said, guess what? A woman's going to call you, and I'm going to hang up now. <laughs> Thank you, Kurt. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, he did have some health at that time, huh? <clears throat> Dating. I'm not the married one on the panel. I'm the only single one, so I'm right in the middle of this adventure. I am. So I want to uh, let you know what it was like because I, I've shared before I had four years in this program and I lost it, and dating has a lot to do with that. The only way I know how to let you know what sobriety was like for me is to show you like this. Four years of sobriety with that scream of rage inside of me. Four years of trying to figure out how not to act out listening to that scream. Four years. And they kept telling me, you're not ready to date. And I said, you said a year. Screw you. And I dated. And all of a sudden, there it was again. All those men. All those drugs. It became important, really important to stop that scream. Stop that scream. Stop that scream. And so my acting out grew into areas that scared me. I realized that that telling a man I was a sex addict was a really good come online. Hey, sweetheart, I'm a sex addict. Let me show you what it's all about. But I knew every time I acted out, a piece of me was dying, that I was losing a piece of my soul. And it became very important. They lost something, too. And so I scarred them. They bled. They hurt. And they didn't leave my company the same as they came in because I knew I was dying. Dying. That was what dating and sobriety was like four years ago. So what happened? The scream had to stop. The scream had to stop. And the first relationship I had to get in sobriety was a relationship with my higher power. I call him Daddy, and I believe that he knows what's best for me. And when I fell so in love with this Daddy, this higher power, the scream stopped. It just stopped. And I was so scared 
the screen stopped that I went to my doctor and said, I've experienced a stroke or I have brain damage or something because something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I talked to my sponsor about it and other people and they're like, Gwen, Gwen, this is normal. This is healthy. I'm like, what are you doing that? <laughs> All that peace. I didn't have that scream going over here and the pornography in my head going here to deal with the scream over here and try to listen to you at the same time. It was silent. And I could hear you. I could hear you. Wow. Wow. The very first relationship is the one you get with your higher power. And when that's full, and when that's meaningful, and when that's satisfying, then comes dating and sobriety. Then comes dating and sobriety. When you don't need it as a drug. When you don't seek it to stop the scream. When you don't have to have it to feel whole. I am whole. Because I've got a daddy, a higher power, that filled in all the holes. And that's what I have to offer another human being, me, clean, clean. I don't feel dirty and smelly and bad. I'm clean, clean. And when a man approached me and said, Glenn, I'd like to date you, but please understand that, I know this sounds funny and a man probably shouldn't talk like this, but I feel like a virgin. I've gotten clean with my higher power, and I can't have sex with you, but can you date me? I thought, yeah, he must know I'm a sexaholic. He's just saying that. (laughs) He's just saying that to get on my good side. And I said, yes, yeah, I'll date you. We'll see how this goes. And we talk every morning, and we do morning meditations together. Every conversation we have has a prayer in it. Every time we see each other to do an activity, we pray first. Because for both of us, the most important thing is that relationship with the higher power. And if we get each other, that's icing on the cake. But that's not the whole deal. Just the icing on the cake. I enjoy being with Brett so much. I've learned so much because I'll tell you what, when you decide to get into a relationship, all those character defects you can ignore, you don't ignore anymore. They jump out. We've had to make some really odd rules about dating. Um, I can't kiss. I just can't. And he deals with that. I went to pick him up at his house, and one of the rules we have is if he's in the back, he unlocks the door so I can walk through the house to tell him I'm there. And I knocked, and he didn't answer, and I opened up the door, and I walked in, and he was coming across his living room putting his shirt on, and I saw his naked chest. And the sexaholic in me just went... Turn on, that's it, I'm ready. That was all it took, a trigger, just like that. And being a dedicated, <laughs> recovering sexaholic I am, I grinned ear to ear and said, ooh, baby, you sure look nice half naked. And the look on his face looked like I'd slapped him, just slapped him. And it hurt me. And he sat me down. He says, I wouldn't hurt you for anything in the world, Gwen, but that was inappropriate. That was inappropriate. 
And because I'm dedicated to sobriety, and because I feel that I'm a good Christian woman, I knew it was my turn to apologize, so I said, You shouldn't have had a door unlocked! <laughs> and he said, Boy, you know, you're right, and I'm sorry about that, and I won't do that again. I'm like, No, he doesn't get it, does he? If we can't have sex, we have to fight because I have all this adrenaline in my system now. So I said it again. If you had any respect for my addiction, you wouldn't have done that. And he said, baby, I'm sorry. And I won't do it again. What do I need to do to make an amends? And I realized this clown was not going to fight with me. And he weren't going to have sex with me either. And I didn't have a clue what to do with this guy. So I call my sponsor and I'm thinking, I'm going to tell him what he, you know, tell her what he did and she's going to say, get out of this. Just get out of this. You're in lust. Break it off. So I say, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened. And because my sponsor is very sensitive and loving and knew I was in torment, she laughed. (laughs) So I explained it again with more emphasis on my pain and suffering and groaned and she kept laughing. And she said, Glenn, this is a healthy relationship. He's dedicated to his own sexual sobriety. And thank God, because I wouldn't have it right now. I walked in, I got triggered, and I was ready to give it up. But as a couple, we're committed to that sexual sobriety. We've been able to strengthen each other. We share the same higher power and the same focus. And uh, that has given us strength. Thank you. Recovering sexaholic and ethanol. Well, it's a privilege to follow Terry. Even though we had to argue a little bit. He flipped the coin, actually, is how we did this. I was um, thinking about gifts, and uh, at first, what kept coming to me was the gifts that I've experienced giving out, and then I realized it was really those were predicated on the gifts that were given me, and there were certain times in my life when the gifts were much more profound to me than others, and um, and I, I sort of jotted down some of those things, if I can find them here. Um, the day my parents um, stopped enabling me, and they stopped rescuing me, and it was before my recovery. I don't know how they knew to do that, but they did. And I, I was very angry, had a hard time with it. But they stopped rescuing me. And I believe that that had a lot to do with my path into this room to be here in front of you tonight. The day my daughter Kiki, Kiki decided that uh, she needed to go into a program for recovery, and she said to me, you have to stop rescuing me. And um, and that's been a long, hard struggle that I have. That's been a gift. For all the times I didn't have sex with another person, I could have. 
for all the times that I didn't masturbate, for all the times I didn't get drunk, for all the times that I didn't tiptoe into really dangerous places. And I feel really grateful for those times, times I didn't use drugs or overwork. And I'm very grateful I don't have to put those times in my fifth step. It was a gift to me. And I didn't know when I came in here because I was only focused on the things I did do. But to discover what I didn't do. And somehow I had a higher power during those times. Because it wasn't me that didn't do it. It was a higher power that kept jerking those things out of my reach. The day that I discovered that... um well, the day my victim mentality got busted. That was a big day for me. Because I was, I was truly, I was truly the victim. I mean, you did things to me. And you made me do things. And you put me in positions that I had to do things that I really didn't want to do. And the day that that happened to me, um, was my first sponsor kept referring to uh, p- uh, the second paragraph in the big book, uh, six, on six, page 62. And the paragraph sort of goes on to talk to me about, I set up certain conditions and climates to, um, to come to a place of being hurt today. And it always looked like you were doing it, but it told me I was stepping on the toes of others. And when my sponsor said, you need to look down at those toes and see what it is that you're doing. And and it just really busted my whole image of who I was. And I feel very, that was like a really big gift for me. And that, that was years and years ago. It took me a really long time to really get it. But I got it enough that it, it caused me to sit down, shut up, and listen. Um, another gift uh, was my higher power. Uh, doing this for me, everything I give credit to my higher power, was the day I walked into Essanon and someone said to me, and this was in Essanon, that sex was optional. And I didn't, I never heard that before. And I heard it in Essanon. And, um, and then the day that my higher power told me to go into SA and I said, no, I'm not going in there, that's him. <laughs> that's his problem. And I kept hearing it, and I kept saying no. And um, I saw a, a very dear friend of mine in Essanon one day, and I know it was higher power that changed the lens in my glasses to see this, go into an SA women's meeting. And something cracked open in me and gave me permission and the willingness, you know, where I couldn't do it myself. But it was that image of someone I knew and had a great deal of respect for in their Essanon program walked over into that meeting and I said, then I can do this too. And I did. And my life has never been the same since. Um, oh, the day I took over the Essanon office <laughs> and the day I packed it up and shipped it off to Nashville, Tennessee. Those were two traumatic, tremendous days for me. Of course, there was a lot in between. But the gifts that I received from being in that office, being a sexaholic and being a recovering Essanon, was nothing short of a miracle. 
there was never I, I there was no way that I could have been as open and to have been had the opportunity to serve to be a service to these programs both of them because I heard from a lot of sexaholics in prison uh who wanted to get just touched me who wanted help for their spouses and didn't know how to go about it and knew that there was nothing they could do for themselves but could I please send something to the family they didn't have enough money to to buy any literature what could we do for them and um what an incredible gift that was to me um, and and then I hit my knees around my work addiction as a result of that working in in the office there came a time when I wasn't going to meetings and conferences I was working and working and hawking the literature and collecting money and I wasn't you know um I wasn't I wasn't working my program or participating in my program at those conferences and I remember standing in the middle of um it was in New York um it'll be 3 years January 15th I was in New York and standing in the middle of the lobby. Everybody was kind of going to their meetings, and I was crying. And Jess Lair came over to me, and he said, you know, what the heck is going on with you? What's the matter? And I said, I, I think I'm a workaholic. And he said, you've got to get that office out of your house. It's killing you. And I said, yes, but you don't understand. People need me, and I have to do this. He said, get it out of your house. And um, he he since made amends to me for giving me an order. But it was exactly what I needed to hear. You know, and I thanked him for that. And the truth is, is that it didn't leave my house right away. Because I still needed that. You know, and when I am, when I can, I can allow anything to get in the way of my feelings. And to get in, in the way of my having that knowing. You know, the higher power, knowing what my truth is. And um, and so working was one of the ways I did that. And what better what better excuse than to be serving my my uh, community, you know, my SAS and community. So it was very slippery for me. And um, and you know what? And now somebody else has those opportunities. And that was sharing the gift for me. When I gave it up, what I realized today is is when I give something up, it makes room for something else. And I never know what that is. You know, it's that the process. It's not the outcome. I always, you know, I want to get into the outcome and know what's going to happen. And in recovery, you guys tell me, ah, that's slippery. Get out of there. And so, you know, work your program, clean house, trust God, and and be a service. And sometimes I forget that, but <laughs> but I but I do try. Um, another really important day for me after I got into sobriety was. Um, into recovery was that I learned out that I could produce my artwork and not have to be high on something. You know, I wore the fact that I was an artist around like a thorny crown. But I was always dependent on marijuana because I could see things, you know. <laughs> and um, on alcohol, you know, if I had if I had a doobie and a beer, then I could, you know, I could do the most incredible things with material. And and if I had the TV on while I was doing it, <laughs> um, you know that was a lie. It's that illusion of control. Now there was some. I did some neat things. I won't say I didn't. I did some pretty neat things. But nothing until until I had enough recovery and could get back in my studio and start working again. And and the process was absolutely amazing to me. 
And that was my higher power who said, if you get out of the way of yourself, then you will be simply amazed. I'm told that the shortest paragraph in the big book is, it works, it really does. And um, I think I'm living proof of that. Um, the people in this room. I I am um, feel the day um, I, I knew I was going to be back here within a year. I don't know how it's, it's that intuition again. I knew I'd be here before the end of the year, and I actually thought I was going to be here this summer on route from back from Montana, and it didn't it didn't happen. And I know why now. I'm supposed to be here now. And um, I think Terry and I were probably having one of our challenging days. And um, Kirk called, and he said, um, you know, would you guys come and speak at the conference? And um, we couldn't agree on much that day, but that was one thing we did agree on, that that was something that we wanted to do together. And and I, I thank Kurt for that call, and I, th- I don't know who was responsible. I just will thank all of you for that, because th- this has um, such, been such a gift for me to be here and has brought about so many opportunities, other than even just being here, but other opportunities for me to do some things that I really need to do for myself while I was here. And I thank you for that. Now, all this, things are now opportunities instead of, um, you know, oh, God, i got to do this, or how am I going to do that? And um, God just, I don't know how God does that, but by God's design only. Let's see, there was, I wanted to share just something else about adversity. I want to say anniversaries, adversities. What I realize is they are gifts in process. I never know that there's a gift at the end when I'm in the middle of it. But I guess if I come, to, when I go to meetings, I hear people share, and I never know how the next week they're going to be still standing on their feet. But they've, they've processed whatever it was that was going on with them, and they walk in, and it's, it's incredible to see that. Um, so there are people in this room that I I check with in with a pretty regular basis, and I just wanted I don't want to absolutely not leave anybody out, and I always do. So I I just wanted to just mention one thing that has been a, a very big gift for me. I want to acknowledge this. Um, I, I've been uh, checking in with Corey on a regular basis. And it's real interesting to me when sometimes she calls me up and she'll listen to me and she'll listen to me and then she'll say to me, well, this is what you told me <laughs> when that happened to me. And that is a tremendous gift to me. It's like I can give all of this stuff away, but there are just some times when I don't have enough for myself to draw on that. And so the gift of having someone that knows me and and that longevity and that intimacy is something that only my higher power, only creator could ever possibly have given me that gift. And and that's that's you guys. And um, I get to pass that on to my daughter and I get to pass that on to my husband and to my stepchildren, which is really hard for me, and I'm learning to do it, to my family, and yay, even my in-laws. <laughs> and so for today, I, I just want to say that just for today, I feel extremely grateful and honored to be here, 
and to hear you and, and appreciative that you are here, that you're still coming back and you're giving back. And, um, you know, I just want to say that I love you and, um, and I carry you with me wherever I go. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.